Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Good to see you. How are you guys doing today? Doing okay? All right. That wasn't too incur- uh, like uh, convincing there. I heard like a couple claps over here and a couple of uh, maybes somewhere else. How are you doing today? Good. How about everybody else? Let's try that again. Doing okay? Well, you know what? It's very nice to be with you today. I got a chance to meet several new faces. Uh, Bobby, Brianna, Steve, Rachel, Reggie. Trying to think if I can remember Sandy, Steve, Amber, right? Okay, there we go. I passed the quiz. I passed the quiz. <laughs> All right. You know, have you guys ever played that that game called Bean Boozled? It's like a jelly bean game. It's quite a silly game when you think about it. My wife introduced this to me a couple years back. She thought it would be funny to try to make me throw up or something like that. So, she she bought this this game. It's like Jelly Belly beans right? We like, who likes jelly beans? I like jelly beans, right? Especially around Easter time. So you get this little box of jelly beans and half are good, like really good, and half are really, really bad, like skunk and trash and like they have flavors of skunk. And literally when you put it in your mouth, you feel like you're smelling a skunk, you know, it's awful. And so the the fun in this game is just you pass the box around and everybody picks one, but they don't know what they're picking. You just pick one randomly and then you put it in your mouth and you watch everybody else look, either look really good or really bad, you know, and it's just a silly game to play until you find out at the end that there's a key card that if you just turn, you know, you had the key card, you could look and go in the box and go, okay, that's a skunk one. That's a trash one. That's a booger one. This is a tutti frutti one. Okay. I'm taking that one, right? And so you're like, man, where was that 10 minutes ago, right? When, do you, have you ever had a skunk jelly bean? I had it like three years ago, and I can still taste it in my mouth. It is really that bad. <laughs> and so, you know, when I think about uh, this game and, and, and how much fun it is, just watching everybody get sick or get uh, smiling faces, you know, I think about our choices and how sometimes in life choices are like that. You're like reaching into a box and hoping you get a fruity one instead of the skunk one, right? And at times, I don't know about you, but I wish I had a key card that I could just go and flip it over real quick and go, okay, that's a bad one, that's a good one, that's a bad one, that's a good one, and okay, I'll take, I'll take that one, that one works for me. And so as I think about uh, the choices I've made and how they have the power to either turn me from a downward trend to an upward trend or from an upward trend to a downward trend, I, this whole idea of having some way to look ahead and find out, is this going to be a good choice? Is this going to lead me up or lead me down? Would be really, really helpful. What about you? As you think about the choices you've made, and especially some of the really big ones, and can you link back in your mind and go, boy, that was a pivotal choice. That was like a tipping point right there where my life went from downward to 
upward or from upward to downward. Man, I wish I could uh, redo that choice or something of that nature. But we all have made choices, some better than others, in our lives. And to varying degrees, those choices do tend to affect whatever trend we are on. If we make several consistently good choices in a row, we tend to start trending up. If we start making, uh, consistently making several poor choices in a row, we start to trend downward. And what I mean by trend, I'm talking about the quality of our lives. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Job and some of the things that, that uh, made him a blessed man. Uh, uh, family, relationships, he had more than enough, he had good health, he had a solid relationship with the Lord. All of these things we're, we, we think of when we th- uh, talk about quality of life and which way are those things trend. And so as we take a look uh, as we continue to uh, this series titled, Yes, I Will, we're trying to develop this attitude that just says, you know what, no matter which way my direction, uh, uh, the direction of my life is trending, whether up or down, I'm going to serve the Lord. How many of you are willing to do that? Yes, I will. No matter what direction my life trends, I'm going to serve the Lord. But it would really be helpful if we had some sort of key card, some sort of way to look and see uh, that's going to be a good choice. That's going to help me start and maintain the upward trend that God creates in my life. And so we are going to look in the book of Proverbs today because Proverbs is that key card. Um, Proverbs, more than any other book that, that God has given us in Scripture, is given to us to protect Uh, the upward trends that God creates in our lives. He shows us in here what good choices to make and what bad choices to avoid. And so we're going to get in there today. If you have a Bible, would you open it, please? And if you flip right to the middle of your Bible, there's a good chance you're going to land in either Psalms or Proverbs, okay? And so flip to the right, and you'll find Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 1 today. If you don't have a Bible with you today, but you would like one, just quickly raise a hand and one of our ushers will bring it to you. And if you don't have one of your own, like at home, just keep it. It's, it's a gift from us. Um, so let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read uh, the first four verses together. So uh, let's start there. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. So right away we see the author. Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. And then in verses 2 through 4, he tells us the purpose of this entire book. So let's read those. He says, Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment, to the young. And so we see right away Solomon stating the purpose of this entire book is to help us live disciplined and successful lives. Now, if that doesn't sound like an upward trend, I don't know what does. It's there to protect. It's there to help us start and maintain the high quality of life that God wants to give us. And so he continues on through these 31 chapters. There are two uh, main sections here, okay? Two main sections in Proverbs. The first section is chapters 1 through 9, and this is Solomon speaking to his sons. He's giving, like, fatherly advice, 
and telling them several things to do and several things to avoid. And that's the section we're going to focus on today. Um, the second section, chapters 10 through 31, are a collection of short sayings. Most of, of them are by Solomon, but there are several other uh, contributors as well. And these uh, talk about money, work ethic, friendship, and success. Uh, something that sticks out, speaking of success, is you'll never have a successful relationship with a woman if you can't tell the difference between a smile and a warning. How many of you know that's true? That's true, Charlie? That's true. I'm pretty sure that's not a proverb in there, but I thought that was so good. I just found that the other day, and I was like, that is so true. Maybe Solomon wrote that. Anyways, so notice that uh, Solomon, he's writing to people in general, but more specifically, to the simple and the young. Now, why would he want to write to the simple and the young? Well, He's writing to them because they're inexperienced and they have yet to come to understand how the world really works. And so he's saying, listen, if you read and apply these Proverbs, you are going to gain experience without actually having to do the experience. You're going to gain the wisdom without having to learn everything the hard way. And so even though we may be young in age, we can have the wisdom of someone who is older. And so he lays this out for us here. Uh, In chapters 1 through 9, there are two things that really stick out to me. Two things that we can do to protect the upward trends that God creates in our lives. And the first is this. It is to maintain our fear of God. I'm going to show you today that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And the second thing is, that we need to acknowledge God in all aspects of our life. So, kind of summarizing what you'll learn, fearing God is the most important thing, is the most wise thing we could ever do, correct? And so as we fear him and we understand his sovereignty, just like Job came to uh, understand, we it will keep us from making these poor choices that tend to lead us down a downward trend. And the second thing, is inviting God's input into our lives. As we do that, we gain the benefit of his broader and more accurate perspective. And this helps us navigate through the ups and the downs of life. So let's take a look at these. Open your Bibles if you haven't already. I'm in chapter 1 still. Let's look at these two things to be able to start and maintain these upward trends that God creates in our lives. Verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7 Solomon wastes no time to get right, getting to the point. He says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Flip to chapter 9, a couple pages to the right. Verse 10. Solomon says something similar. He says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And so, how is this true? How is it true that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? Well, David Gunderson, the lead pastor at Bridgepoint Bible Church in Houston, says that fearing God grounds wisdom. And I really like that thought because coming from a a family of builders, I I understand that the very first thing that, that we build when we're setting up a building is its foundation, whether it be its basement or its at slab or its a crawl space. We build a very sturdy, strong level foundation to build everything else on. If, because if the foundation is messed up, the house will tend to be messed up as well. And the same thing is true with wisdom. 
wisdom starts with fearing God. There simply isn't a wiser thing to do than to fear an almighty, sovereign God. How many of you agree with that? Amen. You know, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 28, that we should fear, not, we shouldn't fear those who can just destroy our bodies like other men, but we should fear God who can destroy both our body and cast our souls into hell, right? And so Jesus taught us this, and Solomon's bringing us right there and saying, listen, the very first thing you should do if you want to be wise is to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about, uh, you know, building our lives, the picture came to mind is a Jenga tower. I thought of a Jenga tower. I have one sitting out here. There wasn't time for me to to bring it over. Uh, But how many of you have played that game before? You poke out the little bricks and you hope it doesn't fall, right? And uh, is anybody like an all-star Jenga person willing to confess that? Because I would challenge you after church (laughs) to a game of Jenga, okay? But there's only, you know, if you've played that game, you can only take out so many pieces from the bottom before that tower will tip and start to fall over. And the same thing is true in our lives as we make choices. We can only make so many poor choices. We can only make so many choices that, that are motivated by fear of something or someone else before the foundation of our lives starts to erode and our lives start to tumble and take a downward trend. This is why in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, turn over there with me, please. Chapter 3, verse 7. This is why Solomon says, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Go to 8.13. Solomon says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. And so Solomon admonishes us, he coaches us, he, he strongly encourages us to fear God and turn away from evil. Because when we lack a fear of God, then we start to make choices out of fear of other people or something else that tend to lead us down, to downward trends. We start to develop habits, we start to cultivate relationships that aren't good for us, and those things tend to lead us down a downward trend. And so when we realize that our own wisdom is insufficient and that the very first thing, the very wisest thing we could ever do is to fear God, we start laying the foundation upon, all, upon which all the other little bits of wisdom can be laid. And that is what strengthens our lives. That's what protects us, keeps us from making those choices or developing those habits or cultivating those relationships that tend to lead us down. Instead, we start making good choices and developing good habits and cultivating good relationships. And all of those things create this virtuous cycle that helps us start and maintain our upward trends. So the first thing is, is to fear God. Fear God. You know, I, um, you know how hard it is to find a joke about the fear of God? It is really hard. But I found, a really, I found this cute story. I thought I'd share it with you just, to, just because I can. Okay, it says, An elderly woman who had just returned to her home from an evening worship service was startled to find an intruder in her house. Catching the man in the act of, uh, of uh, stealing her stuff, she yelled, Stop! Acts 238! 
You know that scripture. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. Well, as the burglar stopped dead in his tracks, the woman calmly called the police and explained what she had done. Shortly, several officers arrived and took the man into custody. As he was pl- uh, placing the handcuffs on the burglar, one of the officers asked, why did you just stand there? All the lady did was mention a scripture verse. Scripture, asked the burglar. She said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> The fear of God. Yes, absolutely. When fearing God is definitely tied in to Scripture, right? Scripture is the catalyst for our change. And if we want to know what it means to fear God, we have got to stay in the Scriptures. Let's look at the second thing that helps us start and maintain the upward trends in our lives. The second thing is this, acknowledge God in all aspects of our lives. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 says, Seek his will in all you do, and he, speaking of God, will show you which path to take. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Repeatedly throughout these sections, I find Solomon saying similar things, which is why I said it was like, kind of a primary thing that he's sharing with his sons. Remember, he's, he's writing to a younger generation and trying to help them gain some insight so that they, one, may not make the same mistakes that he did, but will be able to start and maintain those upward trends in their lives. And so as I think about this, I think, man, acknowledging God, seeking his will. Most people alive today don't even acknowledge his existence, let alone seek and ask him what he thinks of, about their life, right? They're not looking for input about how they should live. And as a result, they miss out on a broader, more accurate perspective that God offers, okay? For me, the, the truth is, I, I think that a lot of people go through life blindfolded, like they're wearing a, a sleep mask or a bandana around. How many of you have one of these thingies? I can't tell. Raise your hand. Right. But imagine trying to find your way home with one of these things on. How long it would take you, how bumped up and bruised you would be, how utterly frustrated. I can just see Tom Hayes on Hess Road in a fetal position crying for his, for his wife, right? I'm teasing you. But that's how a lot of people go through life. They, they, they're blindfolded, and so they try to figure out the best way to relate to people or the best choices to make all through trial and error, but without God, without the scriptures as their source, they never really learn how to do so in a way that pleases God or benefits others. And so as a result, they, they suffer a lot of pain, okay? They have a lot of downward trends in their life. But when we make Jesus the leader of our lives and begin to find out what he thinks about our habits and about our marriage or about our parenting skills or about our work ethic, our friendships, our finances, or just our general mode of living. When we start to invite his input into our life, seeking his will, that's when our life starts to trend upward. And so Solomon tells his sons, and he tells us today, that, you know what? Seek God's input. Because when you do, you will benefit from a broader and more accurate perspective. Look at chapter 8, verse 11. Go there with me. Solomon devotes basically all of chapter, chapters 8 and 9 to explaining this point. And he personifies wisdom here. 
Uh, but in chapter 8, verse 11, he says, For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Skip to 9, chapter 9, verse 11. He says, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life in a way that, that passions or possessions or other earthly pursuits cannot. Okay, that's implied there. And so he says, if you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. And so when we value God's advice enough to ask him what he thinks we should do, then our lives are protected from these downward trends or at least protected from us sabotaging ourselves. See, I, I think that while, like as in the case of Job, God sometimes steps into our lives and creates a downward trend to teach us that he's sovereign. He does do that occasionally. But uh, quite honestly, for, as, from what I see in scripture and just from life experience, I think that's kind of a rare thing. I don't think that's a regular thing. I don't think that, that God gets delight from just causing us to go down all the time. Okay, um, It's a rare thing that he would do that. On the other side, God wants to create these upward trends in our lives. And so he tells us how to relate to himself and to others in order to do so. But because of our poor choices, because we have a tendency to grab all the skunk jelly beans in life, we tend to sabotage ourselves. And we get on these downward trends that are really self-inflicted, Right? We get into places and we start making these consistently poor choices. And before you know it, our relationships and our finances and our habits and just everything is in the tank, you know. And so he gives us this book and he tells us, fear me above all things and invite my input in your life. And if you just do those two things, you're going to be way ahead of so, so many people. How many of you know what I'm saying is true? Amen. And so... Uh, those are two things that we can do, two things that Solomon uh, points out to us in order to protect those upward trends. So what about you? As I kind of wind down here, as I, I try to think about what can you do this week specifically? What can you do to apply this sermon? And how is it coming out of scriptures? And so as I looked through these first nine chapters, I found something that Solomon spoke about over and over and over. Remember, he's speaking to his sons here. And, and by implication, he's writing to us as well, not just men, but women as well. And so one thing he says, and I'm putting it slightly different terms so it applies for more people, but he says to guard your critical relationships, but especially your marriage. Guard your critical relationships, but especially your marriage. Speaking of marriage, I heard this wife, uh, this woman, she was talking to her husband and she said, you know, our new neighbor always kisses his wife before he leaves for work. Why don't you do that? To which the husband says, what do you mean? I, I don't even know her. Anyways, I think I'm on a string of bad jokes today. Someone saved me. So, you know, some of us guys, we just don't get it. Nudge, nudge your husband if he just doesn't get it sometimes. He doesn't get it. How can I? I don't even know her. <sighs> well, Solomon, he comes in these chapters, and he talks a lot about guarding your marriage 
He's talking to his son. Evid- sons, evidently some of them were married. And he just essentially says in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 9, avoid adultery and sexual sins at all costs. He says there is implied, reading between the lines, he says there is nothing that will destroy your critical relationships quicker than adultery uh, or these sexual sins that he mentions. And so he puts a lot of emphasis on this. And so today, what can you specifically do, especially if you're married, what can you specifically do? It's that you can cultivate your marriage. And if let me pause and just say, listen, if, if you're here and you're not married, but you're going to be one day, then you can still apply this by saving yourself for marriage, by avoiding sexual sins, and maybe in the form of pornography or fornication. Keep yourself so that when you are married, you're not dealing with all of that junk, okay? But if for those of us who are married, Solomon is, is saying to us today, saying to you, cultivate your marriage Guard it against sexual sins of all kinds. Why would he say that? Well, here's, here's the picture that came to my mind. You know, um, our marriage is like the roots of a tree, okay? A tree can lose a limb and still be really good, right? It can still be well off. You can cut a big portion of the trunk off and the tree will still live. It will still grow back or grow in a different direction. It, not all hope is lost when a tree loses a limb or even a small portion of his trunk. But if you go and you chop the roots of that tree off, even though it has lots of branches and lots of leaves and looks good on the outside, without the roots feeding it consistently, that tree will die from the ground up, correct? And I think the same is true in our marriage. Of all our earthly relationships, the marriage is a relationship that feeds all of our other relationships. When it is good and healthy, You can lose your job and still make it through. You might be sad and down, but you can always come home, right? You can experience some sort of tragedy, but if your marriage is solid, you can get through it, right? But when your marriage starts turning south, it starts affecting every other area of your life. It's like your life dies from the ground up. Because you can't just check that at the door when you go to work. You can't just check that when you come to church or check that when you go out into the community or hanging out with your friends. And if you don't believe me, just talk to some people who are struggling in their marriage. It it causes a struggle everywhere else. And so Solomon is saying, listen, cultivate your marriage. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. Solomon says to us, he says to you today, drink water from your own well, share your love with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always, this is the big one, be captivated by her love. Always be captivated by by her love. And so this week, I just want to say to you, especially husbands, I want to encourage you this week to cultivate your marriage. Take specific steps, like take her on a date this week. Make time. Um, Bring her home some flowers or something small that she will really enjoy. My wife, it's Dr. Pepper, 
okay? If I came home, come home with a Dr. Pepper, it's like I make her day, right? So find out what your wife really likes and bring her home one of those little small things this week. Take her on a date, uh, do the dishes, something that will bless her heart, okay? Take interest in her dreams and her thoughts and things that she's going through. As we do that, as men, as we take initiative to do that, remember from my sermon on marriage a while back, women, your job is to respond, to keep that virtuous cycle going. And as we strengthen our marriage, we're going to tend less to go down those places and into those things, uh, seeking some sort of outlet uh, that we should only find in marriage. And so that's my specific uh, word to you today. You know, the funny thing about wisdom is that knowing it is, is, is not enough, right? Knowing wisdom is not enough. Knowing that we should fear God and acknowledge Him in our aspects of our lives or knowing Him that we should cultivate our marriage, knowing that is, is not enough. It's kind of like playing basketball or any sort of sport. You guys know me, I, I really like basketball. Um, but owning a basketball isn't enough. Just owning this doesn't make me or you or anybody a good basketball player, correct? Yeah. You have to dribble it. You have to pass it. You have to shoot it like a thousand times before you get any good, right? And then if you stop practicing, what happens? You lose your edge a little bit. You're not quite as good. You can't dominate, Dan. You can't dominate like you normally do, right? And so knowing wisdom is not enough. You and I can read Proverbs every day. I know a lot of people who, because the month has generally has 31 days, I know a lot of people who read one chapter of Proverbs a day. It's a pretty common practice that people have. But if we don't act on it, then what good does it do for us? We don't benefit from it, correct? And I can't think of anyone whose life better illustrates that than the author of Proverbs. Remember, I introduced you to him. What was his name? Solomon. You know, God had Solomon on an upward trend like nobody had ever lived. He, had, he, he came to him in a dream early on in his adult life and said, what, what can I do for you? Just as a favor to your dad. I really loved your dad. What can I do for you? And Solomon says, you know, I can't rule these people. I'm just a child. I'm just a young guy. I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom, God. And God says, man, that's a great request. Since you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for, riches and fame and protection and all these wonderful, wonderful blessings. And so God had him going on this wonderfully upward trend. But in the end, he walked away from God in the pursuit of everything else. It's like he forgot his own words, right? It's like doctors who tell you how to get healthy and then in, when they're on their break, they're out back smoking, Right? They just, they're not following their own advice. And Solomon was exactly like that. He stopped fearing God and started fearing idols. He stopped acknowledging God and started trying to find meaning in everything else. He stopped guarding his marriage and started having sex with all sorts of women. God had promised him an upward trend, but in the end, his life trended downward so fast you would have thought he had never known God at all. Just absolute heathen. But you know what? His story does not have to be our story. We can protect our lives from the downward trends, that self-inflicted type especially. We can protect the upward trends that God creates in our lives and maintain that high quality of life that God 
gives us and wants to continue giving us. We can do that by practicing this wisdom every day. Some days it will be harder than others, right? How many of you can testify to that? Some days it will be harder than others. But if we have a yes, I will attitude, we will continue moving forward. Will you pray with me this morning? Go ahead and stand as we close here today. Let's close by, if your spouse is here today, why don't you just take their hand? And just take like 20 seconds, men. Just pray for your spouse, will you? And women, just begin to pray for your husband. Just begin to pray that God will help you cultivate your marriage this week. That God will rekindle that flame. Especially when you've been married so many years, you can tend to get familiar with one another. And so instead of being captivated, you tend to be complacent. Just kind of take each other for granted. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. And I pray your blessings over every family that's here, every, every marriage that's represented. I pray that you would just strengthen those marriages this week. Lord, as, as we men especially take steps to just cultivate and be captivated again with our wives, Lord, I pray that you would just bless us, Lord. That you would cause the temptations of the world around us to begin to fall off. Lord, just begin to speak to our hearts and show us ways that we can bless our wives. And Lord, for all of us here today, I just pray that you would build in our hearts a healthy fear of you, just a reverential awe of who you are, the sovereign God that, that can do anything at any time, Lord, and yet you, you love us, Lord. You want to put us on an upward trend like, like nobody's ever lived. And so I just pray that you would create that and that you would just help us to do our part, to fear you and to invite your input into our lives that, that we wouldn't... Uh, uh, sabotage the good things you're trying to do in us, Father. And so we just pray today a blessing over each family, a blessing over this church too, Lord, as we just agree together, Lord, for the upward trend that you have us on, God, that you would uh, just let a, a Cornerstone Church be a church that fears you, that sticks in the scriptures, God, that keeps the word of God central. Lord, that we would acknowledge you and invite your input into every decision that this congregation needs to make in order to move forward. And we pray Lord, with thankfulness for your love and for the, all the wonderful people that came today. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you shake a couple hands or give someone a high five on your way out? Thank you for coming today. listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church. 
built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world. 